Hello, tentative listener. We're looking for well-rounded designers to join our teams in Austin, Boston, London, Raleigh-Durham, New York, and San Francisco, who are interested in growing their design and consulting skill set over time. As a designer at ThoughtBot, you collaborate with developers and clients to turn ideas into great products that people love to use and help grow successful businesses. ThoughtBot works with companies in every step of the process to help identify and solve problems. We lead and participate in product design sprints, build high-quality apps, and then deploy them. We use emerging and effective technologies and methods on both internal and client projects. We believe there is a better way to work, and we want to find it and share it with as many people as possible. Visit thoughtbot.com jobs to learn more about working at ThoughtBot and to apply. I'm just going to wait quick. for the intro music. Boo, doo, boo, doo, boo, or the, the band That's pretty good. We don't have... I think we do have intro music. But we don't really do an intro. We stopped doing that a long time ago. But we should introduce you at some point, maybe like halfway through the episode. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, or a few episodes from now. Uh, so you said you had a script on what you wanted to do. Uh, you know, didn't hand me my side of the script, so I assume this is going to be like a 35-minute monologue. That's right. It's half improv on your end uh, oh, and half script. It's a new okay. format. <laughs> is this all built into that script? <laughs> That's right. This is, we're following it to a T. Uh, so for those that are hearing, again, a new voice uh, since Jacqueline is on leave, this is Christopher Schnars from our Austin studio, a relatively new designer. Say hi. <laughs> hey there. Howdy. I didn't know when you were going to end that introduction. I thought there was so much more to say, but uh, that should do it. There are new rules. Right. <laughs> that sounds great. Did you have anything to, that you wanted to talk about? Hmm. I don't know. What's What's been on your mind? What What is the chief What's design officer mind? of ThoughtBot think about? One of the things that I wanted to pepper you with questions about is you've brought it up a couple times that you're interested in sort of like computational design and art. Oh, yes. uh, When you're sort of not at ThoughtBot. I didn't come prepared with a script of questions, but like I'm interested to hear more about that and more about what you're doing and what you're interested in and sort of how you're approaching that. Hmm. I guess it's a pretty big topic area, but in general, what I am interested in is putting together sets of rules. And so for the most part, it's been through like code and having the machine go through the rules and create something. Uh, And so I guess at an even higher level, I'm just interested in how machines can create things based on the set of rules. And so having machines make art. And so, do you know you know the artist uh, Saul Lewitt? I do. You not. heard that name? Nope. He's an artist. I think this is the mid twentieth century. But these large murals and drawings that were basically like you would give participants rule sets, and so not machines, but real people, and they would have to follow the rule set in order to create art or participate in the art. Uh, but it was within the rules. There was a bunch of ambiguity built into how you would actually follow it. 
And so he was sort of creating the rules or creating the concept, but the actual creation of the output was as interpreted by each participant. And so this is not like a new field and has been done by computer programmer type folk for a while. So now I'm getting into it and mostly how it create different artworks and sort of these generative music and uh, non-music systems that can just like keep on creating things forever. Is the output sort of, you mentioned music, is it audio? Is it visual? Is it a video format or like a timeline format? Or is it a still image? Because I've seen computers essentially do all of the above. Right. So I guess what, what avenue are you taking with your art? Or I guess the, the, the rules that you're giving the computer right. to make art? Right, exactly. And I guess like interested to hear a little more about like why you're doing that? <laughs> or like, not, not necessarily why, but like, why are you doing that? <laughs> what's inspiring you to do that is a much better question. <laughs> right, right. I guess the format or the end result has mostly been things on the web. And so just because it seems that's the easiest place to publish things and socialize them and have people actually use things or see them. And so it's, you know, sometimes purely visual artworks that, you know, are just created and you can get a new creation of something each time you, you know, sort of refresh the page, let's say. But more recently, it's been a mixture of audio and a visual counterpart. And so it's, it's more intended to get people who may feel put off or intimidated by a typical music creation, whether it's instruments or audio interfaces, and give them a chance to create these you know, little musical compositions with different fun, hopefully, tools. And so it's like a generative system. And so you may not have to do much to get a real composition going, but it should feel like you're creating, you're having some influence, uh, but you don't have to learn let's say the major scale or how to play the guitar or, you know, really anything music really, you just have to play around and experiment. And so I think that's probably actually the real inspiration is to get people doing things that they may not have thought they could do. So that's mostly been creating music. In general, that's what I like most about the internet is, you know, being able to reach people and have them get to do new things. And so it's all been very fun so far. So it sounds like there's a combination of both the sort of rules that you're giving the web application, but also controls to a visitor. It's like essentially like collaborative art between you, the code and a user. That's right. Yeah. It's not as sophisticated as what you see now with total machine learning. Uh, and I shouldn't say it as like a, you know, it's not all machine learning creative tools, but a lot of them are just like, you pick a few selections, fill out a few form fields, and then you get a full composition. And those to me didn't feel like you're actually participating more just, you know, searching for a file, even though the heart of it is very similar to what I am trying to do, giving more agency to the person who's actually interacting with it, but still trying to make it not feel like an instrument you may be familiar with or a creation tool. Hopefully it just becomes like, oh, I can press any button and I'll get something magical from that. I'm just trying to stay between those two ends of the spectrum. So one of the things that I was going to ask was how maybe some of this translates to some of our ThoughtBob work, but it sounds like essentially what you're building is an application 
and a user experience around sort of art instead of a lot of the times what we're building at ThoughtBot is around business goals and business objectives. I was going to ask you a question and I just answered it for you, but I don't know. That's <laughs> Correct, Kyle. <laughs> uh, I guess, are, are there parallels that you would draw or is this sort of something that you would like rather separate from your full-time work? Yeah, it's funny because I haven't thought of it and maybe it's because like it's all for the most part going on the web or a digital device. So I haven't thought about it as like a different thing. I've mostly been seeing it as just something that I have complete control of, but it follows, you know, a fairly similar process to something we probably do at ThoughtBot each day, which is coming up with an idea, then figuring out the steps to implement an idea. You know, the way it really does differ is it's not solving a problem or probably even fulfilling a need, but it's putting something out there and still having to make it usable and hopefully beautiful and something you want to do and tell people about and enjoy doing. And then, you know, eventually there could be like a sharing component. So you get a little takeaway so if the reasons or what you're actually doing, whether it's you know doing something, a project here at ThoughtBot or one of these side projects, what you end up doing, it feels very similar to me. The process hasn't felt super different. One of the only biggest exceptions being like, there's nobody who will ever tell me, and this is not always a good thing, but there's no one who will ever tell me like that's a bad idea <laughs> until like I show it to somebody, but there's there's no team. And so it's nice to have complete creative control, but sometimes I feel... Like there's no one making it better. It's, it's all just up to me. And so it's like, this is the best idea I could think of. And so here it is, but I'm sure uh, I have no doubt that other people would have had better or ideas that would have made it better until I actually like show it to somebody or publish it and get feedback. I have a couple questions for you, both in different directions. But the, the first one is like sort of the opposite of the question that I just asked. A lot of this sounds like you said creative control, and we talk about it as art. Like, how much of this is the parallel between essentially either you making music or you doing some other art form instead of doing, I guess, the craft work of design? How much do you see it as like more art versus design? Because it seems to have components of what I would consider both. Does one <laughs> occupy your headspace more than the other? <laughs> It's really, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fine line between the two. And I think, you know, depending on the project, you sway in a direction towards one or the other. But in general, I guess it is design. The way I was about to describe it was a design wrapped around some way to create art. And so hopefully the output is art. But in order to achieve that goal, it has to serve a purpose and it has to be used by somebody, which I kind of consider as one of the founding definitions of doing design. It's, it's, you're not just creating it and saying like, look at this or do with it what you want, or I made this and that's it, which is not a very fulfilling definition of art either. But that's sort of what I think about when I create art versus design. It's like someone needs to use this and if I just do a poor job, it's, not going to work. And that means, you know, it's not fulfilling its purpose. And so that seems like design to me, but in a very artful way. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. You're not signing up for a healthcare plan, which is sort of my go-to analogy when I think <laughs> of like, you know, it has to fulfill, it has to achieve this one very important thing. It's if it breaks, no one's going to be denied healthcare. Yeah. One of the things that I do when doing art is like you happen upon happy accidents, almost like, is it a bug or is it a feature? Have there ever been like a point where you're like, oh, I just screwed that up and then used it and we're like, oh, wait, maybe, maybe that's actually a good thing. Yeah. I mean, especially because a lot of this is me writing the code and each new project, I kind of try to veer into new territory for me. And so a lot of those accidents are just like me not really knowing what I'm doing at certain moments and something happening. And oftentimes it's a little bit different than what I was hoping or expecting to happen. And sometimes it's like, oh, that's great. Or sometimes like, I didn't know that, you know, was possible. Um, so it's this like continual cycle of doing something and seeing what happens and that opening up a new door, a new path of doing something else. And, you know, sometimes it can just like send you down on the tangent where you sort of have to, or I'll think about using that at a different project uh, and get back on track. But it's, yeah, it's, it's a continual process of like learning and opening up a new way of doing something or a new idea. But it's funny. I mean, it's, you mentioned, does that happen to you when you're doing ThoughtBot work? Cause that, uh, that's something that I find no matter what kind of project I'm, I'm doing. I find that those things like those happy accidents tend to occur for me much more when I'm in a visual editor as opposed to in code. So I was actually going to ask about that. Like it sounds like a lot of this is through code. Like, do you have that same sort of like happy accidents when writing HTML and CSS or like other than, I guess, the same sort of scenario of visual design when you're like just pushing things around on the screen? That's sort of when I seem to have the, the best results of those sort of like happy accidents. And I just like can't duplicate that in any kind of code environment. Right. Oh, that's a tricky one. Yeah, I, I think I still stumble upon these happy accidents even, not really HTML. I mean, it's probably less less frequent than whether, you know, coding for art versus just styling up a web page. But I still find myself, especially when I jump into, and sort of what I've been doing recently is for the thoughtbot.com website, like jumping from a very bare bones template into styles. I still find, you know, not having that intermediate visual step, you just move those happy accents from what you may have experienced at that visual design step now in sort of the code step. As long as like you're just like in experimentational mode, I think it's more about the mindsets for me of, you know, I'm not following an exact set of rules that I'm just implementing verbatim, but I'm sort of just trying to see what works. And so part of it is trying it and seeing how it comes out and then being open to uh, adapting the direction I was hoping to go on. Yeah, I mean, it's probably less frequent, but maybe I'm just hopeful that it still happens. This conversation reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen, I think his name's Brett Victor. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a big Brett Victor fan. (laughs) His talk. He has a few of them, but I I know one of them is specifically about how tools can sort of amplify these happy accidents or sort of take away that space. 
Right. His talks are, for me, are always really interesting because he sort of takes these programming concepts and puts them into a UI that is just like sort of like for a demo, but sort of shows how those happy accidents can sort of like be more prevalent in our work. Yeah. There is a piece of writing that he did that was sort of critiquing the Khan Academy had a computer science or coding course you know, he sort of, in his writing, critiqued the way that they were going about it as more teaching syntax instead of teaching the thinking behind mm-hmm. programming. What's really blowing my mind right now is that we're talking about Breck Victor and the idea of tools and these happy accidents. And this all came from like the process of the work I was doing on the side of building you know, tools that were, have really been inspired by Brett Victor's, the same exact things that we're talking about, but the output of the work. So it's, you're talking about in the process that I take on, but it's the exact same thing as what has inspired to me to actually like create these things. So the way he talks about tools is exactly, you know, what I hope to create in some of these sort of like generative music or art creation things of being able to put people in a position to experiment with music in a way that you may never have done before, just by providing them a different kind of tool. So it's all very meta and relative. <laughs> sort of um, like how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go with that kind of like right, yeah. the tools that you're building, the tools. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty far out that you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned him. His, yeah, his writing is really great and you know, super opinionated. He also has one about, I think it's math education that I read like 10 or 15 years ago now. But it's all about how if we had taught music in the way that we teach math, it would be like, you know, day one, making people memorize the fractional differences between different musical notes or just, you know, what a scale looks like instead of just like the beautiful things that can come from music or mm-hmm. art. Uh, but yeah, he, he's sort of all over the place with the subject matter. Yeah, very, yeah the talk, I, very, I just looked it up quick. The talk that I'm thinking of is uh, called Inventing on Principle which mm-hmm. I think is sort of along the lines of, of what we were talking about before. Right. Like for me, that concept really hit home because our design tools, like a, a lot of our visual design tools are so far set off from what we're designing for. So things like Sketch or Figma, there's still this leap to iOS or Android or the web that we have to make. And the thing that we're making in those tools is more of just like a facade or like a direction, essentially. Like at the beginning of this week, you were starting to work on thoughtbot.com. And I even said like the work that I've been doing in Figma, it's suggestions on how to implement as opposed to this final piece, which is interesting to me as like, a lot of times my process starts with sketches and, and we do a lot of sketching within ThoughtBot, especially during design sprints and sort of uh, encourage people to do that kind of thinking. And that like basically sketch and Figma are just a more formal step above that. But I'm, I'm really interested as how can we shorten that gap, I guess. Like how, how can we make it so that it's fewer steps to the real right. thing, the clay? <laughs> Well, even what the purpose of these tools are, too. I mean, it's. I just used Figma for the first time on a recent project here, and it feels very similar to what a tool like Sketch feels like, but 
the fact that it was collaborative in real time and people could see like your cursor where it was and sort of be clicking around. I mean, that just felt like it changed the intent of the tool pretty significantly from a place where you're just trying to plan out and create, you know, sometimes really high quality imagery of what you want someone to implement later or yourself to implement later even. And it changed it from that to something where it's like, someone who's not even working on the design can come in, see sort of where you're going with something and even begin to implement off of, you know, initial sketches that you've laid down. It felt like it's going to change the nature of the, I mean, right now they, the files in Figma still resemble what you, you would create in sketch, but it feels like there's an opportunity there to change what it actually is. If you don't need to go all the way with your designs in Figma and really only give whoever is building it in the code, a sense of where you want something to go or a sense of what something's supposed to do, can you end up almost like bypassing the really heavy visual design in Sketch or Figma step? I'm imagining that that's still sort of based on the team that you're on and the communication that you have within the team. Because even one of my fears when like working in Figma on this project, because I sort of had a feeling that I wasn't going to be the one implementing it was sort of that communication that I was able to have with you, which is like, don't take this as the letter of the law. Like you should be able to interpret this, especially since I picked random sort of screen sizes and Figma is not HTML and CSS and things are going to change once you get into the browser. So I imagine like if people are having that conversation between designer and front end developer or whatever the titles are, from person who is doing visual versus implementation, that conversation is still very important. And maybe Figma is a tool to allow that conversation to happen better than something like Sketch, because being able to invite someone into that feels more like we're giving, especially depending on the control, like giving you control over Figma. By default, all designers have control over that. So anyone can come into those files and sort of change them as they want. Right. When you're designing, do you still go to, I guess, what's your expectation for yourself in these tools? And are you still thinking that a tool like Sketch or Figma is where I'm going to create pretty detailed designs of what will then be recreated in code or using it for a different purpose or not going that far along that process? For me, this, this depends heavily on sort of the thing I'm, that I'm working on especially for things like web applications, I'm able to wrap my head around user flows much better by starting to implement essentially like wireframes in the browser first. I just sort of like within all of those tools have always had a hard time wrapping my head around how those individual screens turns into a flow. And so like I'll dive into the browser first because the user experience to me is the primary thing. And then once I get to a point where I feel like, you know, the additional layer of visual design and visual polish will take a good user experience to being great is when I'll sort of like start to create those pictures. And so that's why I like going back to that other conversation, like I I don't have that same happy accident. And so what I'll do is like essentially take screenshots at the stage in the browser and put it into Sketch or Figma so that I can start to sort of manipulate pixels in a much different way than I would in code. 
Right. So you, it's almost like you're ping pong between yeah. the two. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Yeah. But that sort of changes with a site like thoughtbot.com where it's a lot more marketing driven as opposed to driven by user action. And it feels like the visual design is much more important. And also the way that we're sort of tackling the design as a whole and very like componentized design systems thinking way. Right. For me, like a lot of that thinking was better to hash out in Figma first. Right. So I probably would still have that ping pong. Like a lot of that is sort of directed by the amount of time that I have on that project. And so I probably still would like for me, things like typography are are so different rendered in tools like Figma and sketch versus in the browser. That to me has a, a fairly big impact on the design of the site. And so I would like, I don't know where or like how we get there, but sort of a tool that allows for me to do that in a much easier way. But I also might be sort of like in my own little little world in process. I'm very, I, don't know, I don't know how many <laughs> other sort of designers follow that same like ping pong back and forth between visual and code. I mean, what's funny about it is that the first half of that is pretty much the complete opposite of how I go about it. Whereas like I, it's hard for me to think of the user experience and flows when I'm in the code. It's something I need to sketch out and map out at a very sort of basic wireframe-ish level. But the visual design, I have almost no interest in creating refined visual designs in a tool like Sketch or Figma. And just like jumping into the code to start to implement and then experiment with how things work, like typography or colors are the big one as well. And I just find it so much quicker to get to a good solid spot there. So we're like, uh, we're like inverses, (laughs) Kyle. I've found that a lot of the designers here have the same sort of tendencies. I think one of my issues is that I'll start to dive more into the details of the visual design when I'm in a tool like Sketch or Figma, as opposed to focusing in on the user experience. And so like the constraints that I have mentally with code allow me to like sort of go from, from initial sketches on a whiteboard to like things on a page uh, in HTML much faster than I would in Sketch. Right. You know, it's, I, I might give that a try. <laughs> because sometimes I think, why am I doing it this way? <laughs> why am I doing it this way? And so it's, you know, it's nice to hear somebody else's process, especially when it's so different, but leads to the same outcome. Yeah, I also want all of the designers to sort of figure that process out for themselves. I think it's important that we don't all follow the same one and and for things like that experimentation to be encouraged because certainly every designer here isn't me and every designer doesn't, doesn't want to probably follow your process as well. So like when we are solo on projects, figuring that out and then when we're working together, trying to figure out like where our process matches up or, or where we're excited about experimenting. I think all of those things are, are sort of important. Yeah, promoting experimentation with process, but also, you know, style and uh, I don't know, just any way about going about your work. I'd be interested in hearing mm. 
thoughts or ways that we can do that. Cause I think that's, that's the way you don't get just stuck in doing the same thing all the time and creating the same type of stuff all the time, which I think is important. One of the questions I had for you was, was sort of like, how do you make a space and time for these side projects? Oh, well, I guess I sleep less <laughs> than I probably should. I don't know. It, it's not something I'd always done. I've always had like other stuff going on besides uh, what I get paid to do. And so for a while that was playing music in bands. And so as that sort of tapered off or became just less of a thing in my life, it wasn't like I was clawing away from time that I was, you know, it was just a vacuum of time that I had to fill. And so I guess I just, the real answer, I don't, I just do it. And I, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> just got to do it. Yeah. I went through periods of time where I didn't do anything and would still have ideas and was just making lists of ideas. And so, you know, as I get older, looking at these lists of, I had a list in my, this app, to do list of just side projects or ideas. I forget what it was titled. And it was just like a long list of things and I remember, I don't know when this was, but looking at the list and realizing there are things that have been on there for years and just having this moment of like, what is this list? This is not, this is, nothing is getting done. These aren't things I'm, I'm actively working towards. They're just items I've put down. And it, it just became like sad to see like something that was like three years ago, like make a little musical web thing or like experiment with this JavaScript library. And so I think... It was just like one of those moments, like I've had enough of not doing anything about it. You know, even if it's just like getting one thing down per night, just deciding that you have time. So yeah, I mean, just, just do, do it. it. <laughs> and sleep. <laughs> There's a reason why that's such a good slogan. Because uh, it's the only way anything <laughs> happens is just doing it. And then telling yourself that all those things you've heard about eight hours of sleep a night are don't apply to everybody. And that's there's room nice. for it all. I haven't seen all the, the TV shows, which is, you know, sometimes I feel like that is what I've really yeah. cut into the TV shows. Cool. Oh, do you like, how do you find time to do things? I also do not watch very much TV and I go through phases, I think of like having projects and lately, a lot of my projects, I've intentionally wanted projects away from the computer and intentionally wanted things that I wouldn't sort of share with anyone else. Just because I feel like I have so much pressure sometimes, you know, with the stuff that I have at work, and it's all very transparent to sort of like have a place where I never feel judged except by myself. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me, it's, it's after the kids are in bed having that sort of time when they're sleeping and, and being attentional about that time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think setting the expectation that there's a time where this is what I should be doing. I think that is a big step in doing it and not just hoping that time magically appears where it's, you know, everything's set up and it's just ready for you to get going, yeah. but treating it as a, process and as a practice. I, I think like part of that you mentioned Todoist, I'm a big user of the app called Things. They're, they're very similar. It's called Things? Things, yeah. Oh man, that's a great name. <laughs> it's essentially another like task list to do list type app. And I'm very dedicated to the list, let's say, <laughs> dependent on that list. I've, I've built up this habit of like needing to cross off everything at the end of the day. 
<laughs> and so that works really well for the things that I want to do at ThoughtBot. And it works really well for the things I want to do outside of ThoughtBot, both with my family and on my own. And so like I have three main buckets in the things app of like personal family things and ThoughtBot things and like putting pressure, I guess, on myself to like get everything done that I want to do in the day every day. <laughs> right. Do you segment it by day? So you have, you know, something within those buckets each day or is it more just general ideas for things for you to be doing? A lot of things are like creating habits. One of the things that I really want myself to be doing a lot more is sketching. And so having a reoccurring to-do that shows up almost every other day. So it's not an everyday thing, but like shows up every other day to like <laughs> make sure that I, I sketch at least one thing and sort of like setting my expectation there very low. Like it, it could be like a 10 minute sketch and that that's okay. Right. But sort of just like keeping that habit and sort of like the same thing goes with like other things like working out. That is a to do that I need to cross out. And that way I can't like forget about the things. This is the one bit of TV that I do watch is baseball. And so like, one of the very nice things about baseball is it can be very slow. Uh, so I can sort of like listen to it in the background. So that's one of my the things that I really enjoy is this like weird old way to like take in baseball is either by like listening to it while I sketch or listening to it while I do something else and listening to the radio version of the game as opposed to, to watching it. Right, right. Or being very intentional about like just sitting down to listen to the baseball game because I think the pace of the game sometimes allows my mind to wander, which is also sort of a nice thing to do every once in a while. People make fun of baseball for being very slow, but I, I think I enjoy it for its pace because of the space that it allows me to do sort of other things while I watch or listen. Right. Listening to baseball, I'm with you, man. That's great. And my favorite part about that is... You know, sometimes the announcers, the broadcast people will not say anything. And you're just listening <laughs> to the noise of the crowd and of the field. And those moments are just like so wonderful when it's, you know, people in media who are not feeling a need to say anything and just letting the atmosphere almost yeah. do all the talking. But then it's those moments where, you know, it's a situation where there's, you know, some suspense or important thing that their voice will let you know, even if you're not really actively paying attention, that you should pay attention right here because there is a moment coming up that will be somewhat important. So I think, yeah, it, it seems like a pretty good background. It, it seems like it can allow you to go in and out of focus yeah. if you need be. So we should look to wrap this up on that note. One thing that I've been asking everyone is to tell everyone how they can get in touch with you or see any of your work, or is there a place where you want to send our, our tentative listeners uh, where they can learn more about you or, or reach out to you? So you mentioned, you know, sharing work and I, for pretty much ever, I've been very bad at sharing work, but I have this friend who's an artist who's very good at it and he does it uh, via Instagram. He's like my inspiration. So now lately I've been trying to share little snippets of work via Instagram. So I think that is the place to find it. It's just my first and last name, which is not going to be easy. It's just Chris Schnars, all one word, but that's where, awesome. that's where I am. Well, this has been episode 
79 of the Tentative Podcast. You can catch our show notes with Chris's Instagram handle at tentative.fm slash 79. You can email us at hosts at tentative.fm. You can follow us on Twitter, tentative.fm, and rate us on iTunes. Give us you know as many stars as you think we deserve. That is it. Outro music. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, come discover a better way to work.